Hello. Hello. How are you? That was loud. That was a little aggressive. I apologize. <laughs> I, <laughs> that was, I hate to tell you this, but that was like exactly the same as all of your hellos. <laughs> well, I guess I don't realize how, what an aggressive greeter I am. Uh, <laughs> and you know, it's funny in person. I'm more like, hello. Hey. Hey, why? Don't talk to me. Are you talking to me? Why? Okay. Yeah. Hello. Well, I'm I'm that person in the office where people are like, oh, good morning, happy Monday. I'm like, it's Monday. Yeah. Yeah. Don't. Good talk morning. To me. It is morning. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know the quality of it yet, but yes, I'm pretty it fine is if people just leave me alone. Like I, I don't. I like I don't think I really have a face that says talk to me. Nor do I even want to be. To, I just don't like. I like certain people and being around certain people, but I, I don't know. I try to be as unapproachable as possible. <laughs> so I saw that yes, you have a love story for us and no one is surprised. Crystal, <laughs> this is what I was thinking the other day. The other day I was like, you know what? What do I enjoy when I'm not listening to horrific, violent <laughs> crime stories or researching horrific, violent crime stories? And I thought to myself, love stories. And then I was like, you know what? We're in the holiday season now. I think everybody would enjoy a nice little love story right now. And so that's what I have for you. This sounds... As a matter of fact... Just like every other episode. <laughs> but you know what? It'll be different. It'll be different. And I'm sure you've actually heard of this love story before because it's right up there with Romeo and Juliet is what I, I'm thinking. Okay, so it really, so, it's a horrific story. Well, horrific in the sense that, like, is there death? Yes. Okay, fine. There is. Um, but, like, isn't that life and love, right? So... Let's just, we'll just get right into it. You really we'll sound in. like <laughs> Henry from last podcast on the left right now. <laughs> Do I? You know, I've never listened to last podcast on the left. I think you would like it. Yeah, I'm going to try. Maybe not okay. there. I'll, I'll try and find an episode find me that a good episode. you might like. Okay. Um, and I'll, I'll send it to you. Okay. Okay. So let's just, uh, let's just climb aboard the love boat. Oh, Jesus. Here we go. Okay. So... I'm going to tell you a little story about Carl Tanzler, also known as Count Carl von Kassel. Now, we're going to hop in a little machine that takes us all the way back to February of 1877. Oh, wow. Okay. Because that's when Carl was born. He was born in Dresden, Germany. And honestly... He was just your normal, typical kid, really nothing to know about his childhood in the late 1800s. Except that he's royalty. Oh, no, no, except that he claimed to be visited by his dead ancestor, Countess Anna Constantia von Kosel. Okay. Who she would come visit him but she's dead, right? But she would present herself to him in her spirit body and would show him the face of his true love. 
And he remembered this. This happened several times in his childhood. The first time he says being when he was six years old, and then it happened again later in his life. But the the image that he showed him of who his true love would be was this exotic, dark-haired woman. She didn't have a name, but like that face was seared in his mind. And so at thanks. six years old, he's just like, oh, hey, auntie, who's this? Yeah. He's like, cool. That's her. All right. I'll keep my eye out for her. It's like oddly so, chill. Yeah. No. So Carl goes on with his life, right? That really doesn't matter. But he's like, cool. I'm going to keep note in my head. And um, when Carl was becoming a young adult um, in, you know, 1910, at this point, he was living, the life he was living was in Imperial Germany. So that was a period of German Reich, which that's just a period of time where things were happening. Um, as a young adult in 1910, he enjoyed studying weather patterns in um, Austria. Prior to World War I breaking out, he moved to Australia and later he would tell about his experience in, it was kind of like a reader's digest of the time. It was an article called The Trail Bay, Oregon, um, a product of wit and ingenuity. And this was just all about his stay in Australia because he was actually p- placed in an internment camp Aww. during World War One, right there in Australia. Like they were taking all the Germans and they just put him in an internment camp. And this, and the internment camp he was at was uh, called Trial Bay. And it was a prison camp in South Wales, Australia. And so um, it was there while he was interned there that he was secretly building a small boat to escape. So like this uh, prison camp was basically like a castle-like prison. I mean, I looked up pictures and it looks just like a castle and it was right on the cliffs in South Wales, Australia. Okay. So he was spending his time, I don't know how he got there, but he would like go down to the basement area and he was building a tiny boat to escape this castle. And this story is actually backed up by one of the other prisoners that was there too, because he later wrote a book and he was like, yeah, uh, Count Carl, or not Count Carl, he didn't know him as that, but he's like, yeah, Carl was building a boat. I was going to leave with him. So like all of this was backed up um, by other, you know, people who were there by their accounts. Anyways, he returned to Germany after World War I, and when he returned home around 1920, he married Doris Schaefer. And together with Doris Schaefer, he had till, till, he had two children. He had Aisha and Clarista, which, by the way, I really enjoy the name Clarista. Isn't that pretty? Clarista? It's like Callista, but without the, but reversing the L and the A. Or like Clarissa with an added T. Sure. If you want to get technical, I guess. Anyways. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, he had two daughters with Doris. And then in 1926, he was like, you know what, Doris? I think it's time for our family to go to the United States. Uh, I think we're going to have a better life there. So I'm going to go and then I'm going to have you and our daughters follow afterwards. She's like, cool. That's common. So he, I, I hear that yeah. story a lot. Like the the one goes over to set things yeah. up and then everyone else comes after. Exactly. And he was going to go establish himself. So he, sail, he sailed from 
Rotterdam to Havana, Cuba. And he ended up settling in Zephyr Hills, Florida, which today Zephyr Hills, Florida is basically Pasco County, Florida. So he settled there. His sister actually was already living there so he kind of knew people um he stayed with his sister and um but when he was there in florida carl decided to go by carl von cassell so that's when he went he kind of changed to the count carl von cassell for no really apparent reason other than that was like an old family you know name that he then brought back but he was not royalty in any way. Okay. Um, so soon his family joined him. And when his wife and daughters got there, he got a job as a radiology technician at the U.S. Marine Hospital in Key West. Okay. West. Key West. Yeah. So he got a job. He was, a, he was, he was making it in the world. Unfortunately, once he got that job, he just basically abandoned his family with his sister in Zephyr Hills. So he left for Key West and basically just like was like, okay, you guys stay in Zephyr Hills. I'll be in uh, good old Key West and I'll see you when I see you. Really? Just for no reason other than like, man, American dream. (laughs) No reason at all. He's like, I brought them here. You guys make your way. I just made mine like every man for himself. So one day while he was at work, a beautiful Cuban-American woman named Maria Elena Milagro de Hoyas came to the hospital. And she was beautiful in her 20s. And Carl, as soon as he saw her, recognized her immediately as... His dark-haired beauty from his, his dreams. Dark, yes, his the dark-haired beauty that his Auntie Anna showed to him several times in his childhood. I'm sorry, how old was he at this point? Um, He is like in his 30s. Okay. And she's in her 20s. Okay. Yeah. So he immediately recognized her. This was obviously the vision his long-dead aunt, Countess Anna, showed him years ago, and he had to have her. Like, this was it, right? I don't like that. Now, Maria Elena was born in Key West in 1909. Her father was a cigar maker and her mother was a homemaker, and um, they raised a very close family. She had two other sisters whom she was very close with, And on that day, which was April 22nd, 1930, that's when her mother brought her into the hospital. And unfortunately, she was super, super sick. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, prior, I'll tell you what she was sick with, but I want you to know that um, prior to this, prior to her getting getting sick, um, she was actually married to another man named Luis Meza. But unfortunately, Luis left her after she miscarried their first child. And yeah, that's just, that was, I was like, oh, that sucks. And so he left her, he moved to Miami, but they never officially divorced. So the reason for her mom bringing her into the hospital on that day in 1930 was because um, she was sick with tuberculosis. And at that time, that was very, very fatal. Yeah. 
later after she was diagnosed, it would claim most of the lives of her immediate family. Wow. Um, one of her sisters later would die from it, and her father actually later on would die from it too. And coincidentally, although not during that time, but later, uh, one of Carl's daughters would die of tuberculosis as well. Oh, man. So, like I said, once Carl saw her at the hospital, he was like in it to win it, right? He goes up, he introduces himself. He's there's th The mom's like, can you help my daughter? She has tuberculosis. He's like, yeah, I'm a, you know, a technician, but yeah, totally. I can totally help you. Um, and he did have medical background, obviously, and he was considered a physician as well. So he's like, listen, I can fix her. Please, he like convinces Maria's mom and Maria's family that I have a bunch of medical expertise, just not in the deadly diseases category, and I can totally just help your daughter, right? I, so he I'd be asked, like, uh, can, can I get someone with, with like the lab coat with a stethoscope? You don't have a stethoscope. I want someone with a stethoscope. I mean, he might as well have like just walked out of the janitor's closet right. and been like, hey, so what? You got tuberculosis? Got something in here that'll take care of that. I'm surprised he's not like, um, before your daughter dies of this horrible <laughs> disease, I need your permission for her hand in marriage. <laughs> he wasn't. He just really wanted to take care of her. And I think his whole deal was this was the vision in his head of the woman that he was supposed to be with. And he wanted to save her. Right. So he asked um, the family's permission to treat and in his words, cure Elena. Um, and so they agreed because at this point they were desperate. Tons of people were dying of tuberculosis all over the place. Uh, they loved their daughter. They just wanted her better, right? Mm. So he began to treat her in their home and he would bring every day a variety of medicines, including like specially made toxins, elixirs. He would even bring in x-ray equipment from the hospital to like see if he could like treat her different ways, see if he could figure things out. I mean, when I say this guy worked hard to cure um, this chick, he worked hard. Like that was, he just wanted her better, oh right? I'm sorry. So the image I have in my mind right now, um, I have a work issued laptop that I bring home when I'm planning on working from home for a day. <laughs> and I'm just picturing this dude rolling a whole ass x-ray machine out the door. I'm working from home tomorrow, guys. <laughs> like, how does no one not see him taking this x-ray equipment out of the hospital? I'm going to take this MRI machine just super quick. Do I... Carl, should I just check this out to you? Yeah, thanks, bud. Oh I'll bring it back tomorrow. Um, this guy worked day and night. In addition to his specially made toxins and elixirs that he would try to cure her with, he also would bring the family and Elena gifts, jewelry, and clothing. And every day he would profess his love for her. Man, I really now, don't like this. By all accounts... Uh, Maria Elena, she didn't really reciprocate these feelings. And also because this chick was sick, she uh -huh. was ill. So 
I don't know, had she been feeling better that she would have reciprocated? I, I don't know. When I look at pictures, and obviously um, this is a judgment-free zone, lie, but um, looking at Carl's picture, he reminds me of, if you guys listened to our episode of the you know father of the year, what was his name, where he kept his daughter... Oh, um, Yosef Fritzl with his giant Yosef. ears. Yeah, well, giant ears and those eyebrows. Remember, they were like peaks, mountain peaks yes. for eyebrows. Oh, I forgot about the eyebrows, but yes. He kind of looks like Yosef, um, but like with like obviously like he's been to like a waxing brow person. Like that's who he reminds me of a little bit. But, his mustache is a little bit out of control. And then, but uh, Maria Elena, holy moly, she is the beautiful, exotic, dark-haired woman. I'm sure that, you know, Countess Anna showed him okay. when she was dead, but she was beautiful. Anyways, so I'm not sure had circumstances been different, if she didn't have tuberculosis, if she would have fallen for him, but we'll never know. Anyways, despite his best efforts, Maria Elena died at her parents' house October 25th, 1931. Mm -hmm. So this was several months after he like was trying oh, right? yeah. I think I no. know the story now I do <laughs> oh, keep going and it is a love story so you're welcome oh my god okay um so her family and Carl they were left heartbroken Carl insisted on paying for the funeral, which he did. And with her family's permission, he also commissioned a construction of an above ground mausoleum. And this was made of the most expensive stone because he wanted her even in death to just have the best. Um, this above ground mausoleum was constructed at the Key West Cemetery. He also had paid for a mortician to prepare her body before like placing her in there, which back then in the early 1900s or mid 1900s, uh, they didn't really do that, right? They just buried them. There right. wasn't like the, the preparations, like the embalming that they do now right. and stuff. Um, or, I mean, there was probably if you had more money and uh, Maria's or uh, her family didn't have that money. So he took care of all of that. And he happily did so too, right? He just wanted to keep taking care of her even in death. What the family didn't know at the time was that Carl was the only person to have a key to that above ground mausoleum. I don't even think they thought that was possible to get a key. I think their thinking was, we lay her in there to rest, the door closes, it's locked, no and one goes in there. And then she's not disturbed. This is like a let her rest in peace. In peace, exactly. Well, she kind of was resting, except at night when Carl would come visit her every single night for two years. Oh my God. He would go to the Key West Cemetery, usually in the middle of the night, and he would walk in or unlock the, uh, the mausoleum. He would go in there. He would sing to her. He would talk to her. Sometimes he would lay on the slab next to her and kind of like hold her body. Yeah. Um, and this went on for, like I said, two years. Now, 
the parents knew he was going to visit her every day. They just didn't know what that consisted of. They had no idea that he was going in there. But they knew that he had been going every day because he would also leave something there. And then when they would go visit, they would see it. And then they just knew that this was a habit he had. Mm -hmm. Um, Then in 1933, so this is two years later, that habit abruptly ended for no apparent reason. And they also found out that he lost his job for no apparent reason. And so Maria Elena's family, they thought this was really strange. Like for two years, this guy went to his job, went to visit her, went to his job, went to visit her. And then suddenly that all abruptly stopped. Right. So it turns out that his nightly walks and talks with the long dead Maria was not enough. And so one night in April of 1933, Carl went to the cemetery, this time with a little toy wagon, and he removed Maria's body from the mausoleum in the middle of the night and wheeled her home. Yes. (laughs) He later claimed... That Maria's spirit, who would come to his side when he was with her corpse, Uh had asked him, basically begged him, please take me out of here and take me home. Oh, my God. So, yeah, I want to know where Auntie Countess was then to be like, hey, hey, dude, like, let maybe let's leave her here. Like, her her spirit, her spirit coming to you is enough. I don't understand, but okay. Well, it's because it's love. Duh. Anywho, I guess you don't I'm, know about. I am really starting deep. to be concerned for Kyle. Deep love, like, like you know what? I asked Kyle if he would come visit me in the mausoleum, and Kyle said if he did not have a date, yes, he would probably come and visit me sometimes. Please, when oh I die, God. Kyle's Kyle's Tinder app is going to be on there in like seconds. <laughs> seconds. Kyle's going to die first. And yeah, I'm going to come visit you to make sure you're okay. And don't worry, I'm going to be on a date. Kyle's going to be stuffed and standing in the corner. Yeah, but at least he'll be quiet, and at least at that point he'll like oh he'll God. be doing everything he's told to do. Um, so he took her home and like I said, he claimed that Maria's spirit like begged him to take her. Mm -hmm. And so he decided to take her to his home and where he was living was actually an old airplane. He had been living in an old airplane that he had kind of refurbished into kind of like a, a makeshift medical lab Kind of like people take school buses and make them into. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think that was, and I was trying to picture this and like, and like, and then I thought, you know what? It totally makes sense. This is Florida. Is he like like trying to Frankenstein her? You're going to find out. Oh God. He's, what he's trying to do is love her forever. And I can't believe you don't see that here. Anywho, as you can imagine, a Two-year-old corpse doesn't really travel well. Uh -uh. But not to worry, because it turns out our friend Carl is pretty crafty. Pretty crafty. So, to stabilize her bone structure, he used piano wire and 
coat hangers, right? To kind of like help those joints. He um, also fitted her with um, some glasses because the two green marbles that he stuck in her Mm -hmm. eye sockets needed to like, you know... (laughs) Have have some uh, have have some help because I thought that was that marbles would definitely be twenty twenty vision, but oh I guess Lord. I was wrong. She doesn't um, need glasses; she has no eyes. As her skin decomposed, uh, he would replace that with silk soaked in wax and plaster of Paris. So, like a like a little a little decoupage, if you will. Oh my okay? god. And as her hair fell out of her scalp, he would actually save that hair and attach it to some netting to create a wig that he then, like, placed on her. And then he also, because, you know, the chest cavity, I mean, I'm no doctor, but when you die, right, it's kind of, like, sunken in because you're not filled with, like blood and fluid um he just stuffed that with some rags just to like you know keep the original form um he dressed her remains in really nice stockings and like jewelry and gloves because if you're gonna be dead you need to be hot right i mean he was he buying her a ton of things before so he may as well <laughs> yeah why uh, not deck her out in death but okay yeah This is for my lady. Of course I am. Um, He also had to use a ton of perfume and flowers Mm -hmm. and disinfectants to, you know, cover up that like two-year-old corpse smell. Um, I'm not familiar with that. Pretty sure it's uh, but you know like what's what's a little rotting smell when you exactly true love. Thank you. Exactly. Like I said, Romeo, Juliet, Carl. Maria Elena. Uh-huh. Um, so where did where did he keep her, you ask? Uh-huh. Well, he kept her in his bed, of course. Cause that's where you keep your Your partner shares your bed. <laughs> yeah, your partner shares your bed. And where did where did Carl sleep? Well In the he, bed next to her? Yeah. He slept in the bed next to her. Um so yeah, he kept her there took care of her, laid with her there for, wait for it, seven years. <laughs> and seven no one noticed years. she was missing. Seven years. You know what that says to me? What? True love. True love. I can't believe this is in a Lifetime movie. I mean, he True made it past love. the seven-year itch. So. Exactly. Exactly. And he's still right there next to her. Exactly. So during these seven years, like you just asked before, didn't anybody notice? Like, didn't anybody figure out what was going on? Well, Carl did have the town talking because he had become super like reclusive since he had suddenly stopped his job and since he had stopped going to the Key West Cemetery. So yeah, people were talking. And the only time they would ever see Carl out and about in town was when he was out, but he would be buying like women's clothing and perfume. So people were like, this is really weird. Um, There were also several witnesses that later claimed when they walked by his plane, which again, that's just even a weird thing to say, (laughs) uh, they would see him dancing with a giant doll. Oh Uh, my God. You guys, it's 
Car it's fucking Carl in his plane dancing with the, should we check in on him, maybe? Holy yeah, when, when this guy, who you have known for a couple of years, <laughs> suddenly drastically changes his behavior so that he barely leaves home and you walk yeah. by and he's dancing with a fucking life-size quote-unquote <laughs> exactly. doll, maybe, yeah. maybe... Let's make him a basket of muffins and knock on the door. I was just about to say that. Oh, we've been together too long. <laughs> I was just about to say, like, make some muffins. Go on over there. I don't like. Hi, Carl. Knock, knock. Is everything okay? Like it's, uh, blueberry and chocolate chip. Your favorite. Yeah. <laughs> Oh man! And then he goes, so, "Oh, oh! I can give one of these to Maria. <laughs> Who the Maria, hell is darling, Maria? Would you like a chocolate chip oh muffin? Can you imagine if you brought him a basket of muffins and he yeah. invited you and in, come on in and enjoy one with you? Okay, cool. I'll come in, and and Maria will be with us too. And you have to sit there across from this thing, and the and the smell. Although, like I said, he used a lot of perfume, oh so God. I don't." I don't know how that smelled. They should have had Febreze back then. That probably would have helped a lot. No. Um, so rumors begin circulating. And people begin putting the pieces together. And around this time, so now we're in like the 1940s, Maria's family got wind of this. And they also like sensed something was off. So Maria Elena's surviving sister, remember her other sister, after Maria had passed away, also died of tuberculosis, which where were you, Carl, for that one? But anyways, um, she went over there and she went to his plane and she discovered her sister's corpse. So at first she just thought, oh, he just had a doll recreated to look like her, like an effigy, right? Like okay, this is just a doll. Even if that was true, that's still really weird. Yeah, wait till you see pictures. Let's of, get this man some there therapy, are please. Yeah. So at first she thought it was a doll, but then she was like, I think once she like kind of like looked closer, she's probably like, yeah, this is not a doll. So it wasn't until the police got there that they determined it was an actual corpse. So here's where things get get weird and I'm just gonna oh like, now they're getting weird okay <laughs> I just well I mean the only here's the thing Carl is obviously a very loving guy right he obviously has a good heart he would have killed it on Pinterest okay with just all of his crafty ideas all right okay so this you're next saying he was born in the wrong century I'm saying Carl I'm saying Carl was in love all right. Okay. Now, obviously, Carl was then separated from um, Maria Elena. Mm -hmm. The police begin investigating and they discover a few things. During an examination, because they did do an autopsy on the corpse doll, right? Because, again, now she had been dead for nine years. Um, so it was a nine-year-old corpse, but they still wanted to make sure, you know, whatever. They still did an autopsy. They discovered um, that he had inserted a paper tube between her legs to create a makeshift mm -hmm. vagina, which I don't think you can look that up on Pinterest. Um, however, he denied 
any accusation of necrophilia. He said, absolutely not. I did not have any sexual contact with her other than just like hold her and just be with her. Um, Later, others would speculate that he had to have had some something like that, but there had been no significant evidence to prove otherwise. Okay. So after her body was examined and all the pathology tests were run, they put her on display at the Dean Lopez funeral home. Why? Like, ser- exactly. Let Where, her rest. Exactly. That's what I was thinking when I read that. And guess how many people came to see her? Thousands. Six- 6,000, over 6,000 people came to see her body on display. Same. I'd probably, I would have to go. Oh, I totally, I told, I'd be there like in two, I'd be there opening night. Um, Eventually her body was returned to the Key West Cemetery um, where her remains were buried in an unmarked grave to prevent further tampering. Yes. Yeah. Because this became like a total media sensation, obviously Uh back then, right? Carl was arrested and detained for wantonly and maliciously destroying a grave and removing a body without authorization. He was examined by a psychiatrist and found mentally competent to stand trial. Okay. After the preliminary hearing on October 9th, 1940, his charges were dropped because it was determined that the statute of limitations for the crime had passed. Yeah. So he was released, Uh right? And like I said, this was huge in the media. Um, And the general public, like you would think they would be grossed out about it and kind of weirded out, but mostly they felt sympathy for Carl. And a lot of people viewed him as like just an eccentric romantic, right? When I think if you closely look at all of this, Aside from all of my joking that this was true love, this is this is odd. It it's this weird is a little odd, and it's yeah. sad. Yeah, it is very sad. So in 1944, Carl moved back to Pasco County, you know Zephyr Hills, where he had dumped his family, um, and he actually moved next door to his wife Doris, uh, who surprisingly stuck by him really? and helped support. Yeah, helped support and take care of him for years after that. Um, he wrote an autobiography that actually appeared in this kind of newspaper circulation or kind of like magazine circulation called Fantastic Adventure. And it was a, an American uh, pulp uh, publication that showcased science fiction stories. Okay. Um, so he wrote like a little write-up of it. And although he was separated from Elena's corpse... That actually didn't stop his obsession with her because he actually had made a death mask, which a death mask is a mask made in the likeness of someone who passes. So he had a death mask made and then he also created a life-size effigy. Okay, why didn't he start with that? Yeah, exactly. Then it never would have been (laughs) taken away from him. You would have just kept it. Okay. So Carl... Carl lived with Elena or her doll until his death in July 1952, where his body wasn't actually discovered until three weeks after his death. Oh, I don't know that's what. Sad. Uh, yeah, it was discovered much later. And there's been conflicting reports, but like some reports say he was found like holding Elena's effigy. Um, some say it was like in the room next to him. I mean, there's just like 
we don't know. There's not an exact account. Right. But he was 75 when he finally passed. Now, this case has been written about a lot. There are a lot of podcasts that have done this case. There are um, a couple of documentaries on this case. Um, one person even claimed that someone had given a note that Carl wrote confessing that he had killed her in the first place to save her from the pain of her disease. So that was a rumor that was floating around that hmm. she didn't actually die of natural causes, that he had confessed to killing her just to save her from her endure, enduring a painful death. But there's no, not been any proof that that's been true. Right. Like it's the just note that added was found. Scandal. Exactly. Just added scandal. Um, so I r truly think that this guy had some sort of vision in his head that was seared in his head. And I think once he saw her, he was like, this is it. Right. And just tunnel vision and, and loved her went about it the wrong way. Um, now, as I was researching this article, um, I came across an NPR article about um, an Indonesian Island um, and the article was called The Dead Live With Their Loved Ones on this Indonesian island. And it's by a man named Tommy um, Trenchard. And oh, I think this, I know this. Yeah. So this w actually was in um, Tana Troja, Indonesia. And um, this article talks about this 90-year-old woman, Alfreda Langtong, um, who was still kept in a room at her son's home, brought three meals a day and visited by family members and grandchildren throughout the day. But she had already been dead for seven years. Mm -hmm. So they kept her in the room for seven years. And to her family, she was just what they call uh, makula, which translates into sick. So they just referred to her as, yep, Grandma Alfreda, she's just sick, right? And they would visit her in her room and essentially take care of her. And she was kept in a coffin that they would open when they would come visit. And then they would cover her with a veil and close the lid when they were done. And the reason for that was is because preparations for her actual funeral weren't finished yet. And there in this particular part of Indonesia, they take their time planning a funeral because their death really isn't taboo. It's like a big deal that should be celebrated. And in their culture, it's not the wedding day that's the most important day of your life or the day you have children. It is the day you are sent to heaven. And that doesn't necessarily happen after you die. That happens in this at your big funeral. celebration your yeah. family sends you on. That is yeah. so interesting. Yeah. So um, there also funerals are, are expensive. And so it takes a while to gather the money and families save for years so they can afford like this. And I quote, elaborate exchange of gifts and money and freshly slaughtered meat that take place during these events. So death there actually provides livelihood for people. 
because it pumps back money into the local economy because people are using locals to, you know, provide some of these things that they have at these funerals. Yeah. Like um, there's people that are paid to carve a likeness of their dead relative from wood, which can run up to about 15 million rupa, or that would be considered like a thousand US dollars. Wow. So death isn't so much mourned there, but it's it's celebrated, right? It's a celebration. And they care for the corpses even after the funeral has ended. And they do this to show respect. So every few years after the body is buried, they exhume the body and they dress it in fresh clothing and accessories. So like hats, glasses, purses, shoes. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's... Did you see Dark Tourist on Netflix? No, I need to. There's an episode where he goes to a tribe that does this. They do. Yeah. There's this hike up into the mountains where all of their dead are kept. Yeah. And they take them out and they bring them back down into the city. And yeah. it's this whole festival of they they come stay in your home for like a couple yep. of months. You uh-huh. dress them. You feed them. Yeah. Um, it's, just, it's very, very interesting. Yeah. And so also there in that same culture, when babies die in Indonesia, sometimes they're buried in a carved out hole of a tree so that the baby and the tree can continue to grow together. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Isn't that, isn't, it's sweet. That it's, is, I like that. Yeah. Um, so this got me thinking of like, what are, like, so here in the US, right, death is like, you know, isn't isn't like that for us, right? When no. someone dies, we we bury them and then they're either in a cemetery or cremated and it's really sad mm. and and awful. Um so I was I started researching some more unique like burial and like, you know, death ceremonies. And so I discovered a couple that I just cause I mean, you know, talking about Carl and his love for Maria. Um, in some of these places, I don't think Carl would have been so wrong to do what he did, right? So um, in Tibet, they do something called a sky burial, and Buddhists usually do this. And this is oh. when bodies are left outside, and they're cut into pieces for birds and other animals to eat. Yeah. Because the belief is that this allows the soul to depart while honoring the circle of life, right? Mm-hmm. So I've that's, heard of that. Yeah, that's the sky burial. Um, In another culture, this is in Madagascar, uh, and forgive me, I'm not going to pronounce this right, but it's called Fama di Hana, and it's translated into turning of the bones, and it's also called dancing with the dead, but this is in Madagascar, and the Malagasy people open tombs of the dead every few years and rewrap them in fresh cloth. So this is kind of like the one in Indonesia I was telling you about, Mm -hmm. and when this is done, they often dance and play music and have a, another little celebration um, at like the burials when they when they go and rebury them at the tomb. Um, and this is meant to speed up decomposition and push the dead faster into the afterlife. Because I think once the body is completely gone, that's when they feel like they've made it to the afterlife. Okay. Um, Then in Nordic cultures, there's something called the water burial, 
And this is popular in many cultures, especially Nordic cultures, but they use water as the burial grounds instead of dirt or soil. Mm -hmm. And laying coffins at the top of cliffs towards water or setting bodies adrift in um, death ships uh, is essentially for them giving bodies back to the gods. Okay. Right? I always loved, like, the Viking funerals. Yeah. I always thought that was, that, like, kills two... two birds with one stone like you set it ablaze out there in the water and then it just like quick cleanup like it's just fire and you're done right i was like that's that's that sounds good um there's another one called the parade this happens in india um and they basically parade the dead through the streets they dress the bodies up in bright colors usually these colors have um symbolic representation of the person's virtues so red can mean purity yellow means knowledge um and then the bodies are uh cremated in town and um they're sprinkled with water from the Ganges River. So okay. uh, that happens in India. This one is really odd. And I actually looked up a video of this and I don't suggest that you do. Okay. But it's called the Tower of Silence. And this is a, a Zoroastrian tradition Um, Zoroastrianism is an ancient pre-Islamic religion of Iran, and this is still practiced in isolated regions of India, but they believe that dead bodies defile everything they touch, including Hmm. ground and fire. So when someone dies, um, they douse it with bull urine um, to clean the body okay. and the tools that are used to cut off the clothing. Uh, all clothing and tools are destroyed right after. And then they place these naked bodies atop a tower of silence, which basically looks like a, I want to say the size, the, the, they're huge, but it's a big cement kind of tower with a huge bowl at the top. It looks like a huge bowl. It's like just a, a raised circular structure. Okay. Um, and they place the naked bodies kind of on the outer edge of it so that vultures can come and eat the bodies. Okay, so it's a, a version of a sky burial. Kind of, but like... Look it up on YouTube. You just told me you don't recommend me to go look up a video. Well, I would because I did. Um, then there are things called deathbeds, and this happens, or death, not deathbeds, sorry. Then in um, South Korea, death beads are very popular, where they take um, ashes of the dead loved ones, and they turn them into beads, and they make all sorts of colors and designs with them. And then these beads are placed inside glass vases or open dishes, which are displayed in homes, which I thought, that's really nice. Instead of like a an urn with ashes making it into like beautiful colorful beads i think that's kind of nice since you're bringing up korea anyway the um there are several times a year in korean culture that they go and um they honor the dead so they'll go to um the site of their um headstone 
and they'll lay out a picnic dinner or a lunch. Um, they'll have food and drink there as an offering for the dead yeah. ancestor. They'll uh, clean up the grounds around the um, site. They'll clean the gravestone. Um, but then also, so that's in the springtime. In the fall, um, for thanks Korean Thanksgiving, they'll actually create a whole spread of food. And um, you'll have uh, several of your ancestors represented there with pictures. And they'll have um, the ancestors have their own place settings. So they get their own utensils with a bowl of rice and um, a whole spread of food. I actually have a photo from my uncle's um, Thanksgiving just a couple months ago. I can send to you if you want to oh, see. Nice. It's interesting. Yeah. Oh, that is interesting. Um, and then the Philippines, there's a lot. Like, there's a whole bunch of different things they do in the Philippines. The Tin Guaylan people, they dress the deceased in super fancy clothes. Closed? Clothes. Sometimes they place a lit cigarette in their mouth and they sit them by the front door um, just to greet people. <laughs> like weekend at Bernie's. Um, the Bengue people do something similar, but the deceased are actually blindfolded for some reason, but they do just prop them up in the entrance of the home. I wonder uh, if it has something to do with um, a lot of cultures see the eyes as like windows to the soul. To the soul, maybe. I wonder if yeah. it has something, because I know there are a lot of death rituals that have to do with um, opening windows in the house and covering mirrors so that... Um, yeah, souls don't get trapped in the mirrors and that they have a way to get out of the house. Yeah, uh-huh. Um, the Cebuano people, they dress their children who go to funerals in red so that they don't see ghosts. And then the Cavite people in the Philippines, they pick out um, trees prior to their death that they want hollowed out when they die and they're entombed in them vertically. Oh, yeah, so that happens um, in that village. Okay. So, so yeah. So that takes us right back to good old Carl. And really, I mean, what he did, was it so bad? No, probably not. Not a single one of those rituals was from <laughs> Germany. Well, Carl, maybe Carl should have lived in Indonesia. Okay. Like, oh, you know what I think? I think Countess Anna, his dead aunt, probably should have showed him a vision of Indonesia and said, Carl, this is where you're supposed to go. This is where she is. And then it would have been fine. I, Poor Carl. He was just in love. That's it. Okay. If that's the takeaway that you want out of this, I yes, will let you have it. Yes, that is the takeaway. I'll let you yes. have it. It's the holidays. Let's just focus on love. Oh, my God. Okay. You can focus on love. Uh, so you're welcome, everybody, for that endearing love story for the ages. Really puts Romeo and Juliet to shame. Uh, thank you, you know, for that. I think I just story. developed like a bunch of new wrinkles yeah. because of the yeah. faces I was making. But um, it's the just, holiday you know, season. And maybe when we get past the New holiday Year's, season. Oh, geez. <laughs> Don't forget, someone dies, green marbles, eyeballs, and they still need glasses. Oh, You're welcome. <laughs> I'll talk to you next week. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs> Kat and 
I are so grateful for all of our listeners, and we love hearing from you guys. Connect with us on Instagram and Facebook at Alternative Interest Podcast, and let us know your thoughts on this week's case. We want to cover the things that you guys want to hear, so please email us your case suggestions at alternativeinterestpodcast at gmail.com. As always, thank you so much for listening and sharing us with your friends. Be good to each other, and we'll see you next week.